Welcome to season two of the Pines and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. This show understands that there is quite a bit of diversity amongst the body of Christ. So we operate according to the motto that certain things are fixed, like the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lovers? What's up? Hope all is well. We're back with more beer and some more conversation about engaging theology. Um, but let's first have a conversation about these beers. Let's go ahead. do it. I will go ahead. Um, so if you guys remember, we have had some stuff from modern times brewing before. Um, and if I remember correctly, we've enjoyed some of their stuff. Yeah. There's been some stuff we haven't loved, but overall, um, there's been some stuff that we've enjoyed. This is called the Sparkle Wolf. It's quite a fun, strange can. It's 6.7 uh, ABV, 45 IBUs. It has the following hop varietals, El Dorado, Galaxy, Mosaic, Mosaic Cryo, and Chinook. It also has the following malt varietals, Munich, Wheat, and Turo, which if you didn't know, American Turo malt, the most popular base malt in any beer mm-hmm. um, that's not something like super Lovabond high, like... 800 level bond like a, a stout or real dark brown or something and this is their description this magical marriage of complexity and crushability is a west coast bouquet of bright tropical fruit and berry flavors accented by a lovely aroma of pineapple pear watermelon and stone fruit it's a delicious explosion of el dorado and mosaic hops and we think you're going to be pretty psyched about it Listener, if you know anything about me and my beer palate, right. chances are I'm going to love this one. Yeah. So I have something uh, else from Clown Shoes. At this point, if I see Clown Shoes on the shelf, I, buying it. I've, yeah. I pretty much pick it up. Yep. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed everything that we've had from them thus far. Um, but this is actually a seasonal release. Um, and this is what it says on the can. I've got it here so that... It, I don't have to hold the can and get warm and stuff like that. But um, it says, Genghis Pecan rules with an iron fist. He can, he conquers all that he surveys, but he also is a, a strategic genius. Genghis plans his meals, uh, his meals weeks and weeks ahead so that he arrives at the Clown Choose Pecan Pie eating contest, ravenous and ready for another conquest. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Their, their lore-based stuff is just so good. It's it's really good. Um, so like I said, it is a seasonal, um, but apparently it's goes really well with like desserts and things. We're going to see um, because I expect this is going to be sweet. And if this is a sweet beer, I don't know if I want, if I would want to pair it with a dessert. Um, that's why I didn't want it is because it's called the pecan pie porter. Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, but it's supposed to taste like sweet dessert flavors. Um, although this may not be fun for me, uh, note that this does contain lactose. Oh, 
So going to have a creamy feel to it. Going to have a little bit of a creamy thing to it. The hops are is Simcoe. It's 8%, 16 IBUs. Um, and specialty ingredients is pecan pie natural flavor. I don't know what that means. Natural flavor. Though. It says pecan pie natural flavor. I have no idea what that means. Lactose and black malt. So black malt. Black malt. Oh, so above a thousand level one. Wow. Yeah, super high. Yeah, real high. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is gonna be good. Hmm. Mm. Oh my god. So good. Not just because the beer is so good, but we put it in the freezer because we just bought this at HEB. Mm. It's got ice chips in it. Like, oh, this is, I'm sorry, this is hands down one of the best beers, holistically drinking experiences I have had in a very long time. I'm super excited about it. Um, so I can't score it yet because I need to actually put myself back in evaluating this beer and not being fan, like, not letting the score be dictated by the ice chips. By, by the whole overall experience of yeah. all of it. Being a style of beer I like with the ice chips, super cold, yeah. Yeah, so me, not what I was expecting at all. It's a little bitter. I guess from the super Honestly, high level. Honestly, that's probably ball. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it probably couldn't. It, uh, it's not nearly as sweet as I expected it to be. Um, I expected does it, it taste. Does it have like a burnt taste to it? Kind of. Yeah. So that's definitely going to be from the higher level bond. Right. It, and I think that that's where the, that bitterness is coming from too. Yeah. Um, and it, it's I'm, like when you burn toast and then try to scrape the black off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, excuse me. I think what they're trying to accomplish here is fantastic. Mm. Um, not my style. Yeah. But what they're trying to do, I think, is really good. Um, what was that maple pecan thing from Saloon Door that you had that was just <sighs> yeah. syrupy? I couldn't even finish it, yeah. It was just so remember. sweet and syrupy. Yeah. That's kind of what I was expecting from this. Nowhere near that. Hmm. Um, it drinks really easy. It does have that creamy mouthfeel. Do get, like, those slight hints of like lactose flavor um like just the occasional like whey mm, kind of flavor th that yeah. like whey thing that like sits on your palate yeah um but it it's the pecan doesn't really show up as much as i expected it to mm, um, it's really a hard adjunct to to work with it really yeah. is um magnolia brewing does a really good job of it they're the only one that um, uh what's it called the Pecan, um, yeah, whatever it is. I think it's just called the Pecan Brown. Yeah, whatever. I can't remember. But but Lazy, Magnolia Lazy Magnolia Brewing does a fantastic Mississippi job. Mississippi does a fantastic job of doing the, oh, the Nut Brown. The Nut Brown. The Nut Brown Ale. Maybe, yeah. They do a really good job of, of using pecans in that way. In this, in this way, pecan is kind of lost on me. Um do get lots of the baking spice, um, desserty type flavors. 
um, but it's followed by this kind of like bitterness and then it's finished by the lactose. Nice. So for what it is, I'm giving it a seven. Nice. Okay. So for this modern times, um, I'm trying to be objective. Uh, I did already kind of shoot myself in the foot telling you that this is one of the best beer drinking experiences I've had. Um, trying to set aside the fact that there's ice chips in it, which just makes any kind of beer drinking experience. If you've not been to a true Mexican food restaurant, like an authentic Mexican food restaurant where they've got the frozen mug and they pour your beer in it. And if you let it sit there, the top, the froth, the head of it, ice is over. If you've not had that experience, you are missing out. Um, it's pretty delicious. Yeah. For anyone that lives like North of Dallas and doesn't get authentic Mexican food, experiences apologies yeah apologies because man but trying to be actually like get my beer nerd head hat back on um it's missing malt it it has too much american two-row in it it doesn't it doesn't have enough malt complement for me to like skyrocketed in the score but it's still getting a really good story it's still getting like a seven six really good west coast style hop forward good mix of hops i was really suspect about the galaxy hops being in it yeah um all of it works i just want a little bit more malt that that's my only complaint if it had just a touch more malt specifically something like Man, I don't even know. Like, even even just like a Pilsner malt. Mm-hmm. Like, just something a little... Well, not a, really a Pilsner because you got American two-row. But if you just substituted it out with another... Or maybe a larger variety or, or like a larger proportion of one of the existing malts, I just want a little more. If I had a little more, it'd easily be an eight. It's just slightly unbalanced for you. It's just slightly overhopped for me. Yeah. Which is saying a lot for you, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I really am a hophead. I I yeah. want hops in your face. I want it like running the show, but right. sometimes. So let's jump into this. So we started this conversation last week um, about imminence and transcendence and um, this conversation of God and the world and how he interacts in the world. And we have now reached the discussion of providence, agency, and the problem of evil. So what do we do with all this? (laughs) Well, let me first say, there's a reason that this came after the conversation about transcendence and eminence. Mm -hmm. Because where you end up on that issue is going to dictate how you handle this one. Right. Um, If God is more transcendent, you have some different ways in which you can handle this. If God's more eminent, You're much more limited in the ways that this can be handled. Um, The conversation around agency is actually like a pretty um, important one Mm. for this conversation. Um, And God's agency is his, the way they define it. He's working to bring his preordained will into fulfillment. I'm going to have, I'm going to meet Ben for drinks um, later this or in March. Um, he and I are going to have a conversation about that definition because it's really not a great one. 
Um, because his preordained will, the sin wouldn't enter the world. Mm-hmm. Like, well, okay, that's dumb. We're not under that anymore. So agency is something else. The way that I like to say it is agency is the way in which God is inter- interacting and intervening in the world um, in the ways in which his activity is noticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a like divine, grander, prominent providence kind of way, but literally agency. What is God causing to bring into reality? Yeah. That is what an agent is, right? If you think about an agent, I am bringing something of value to you. Mm-hmm. That's agency. What is God up to in the world? Right. And then, so because of that, you have, and this is important, you have a question of general providence or specific providence. General providence would be the lesser of the two. Mm-hmm. General providence is, yeah, God has some providence, but he still allows like free will right. to impact it. Specific providence, excuse me, would be like the ultimate form of transcendence that God is up there, the great puppeteer, mm-hmm. controlling every little thing. He knows everything that's going to happen because he's making it all happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, if you're going to avoid deism, you have to say that. That if God knows it, he's making it happen. Mm-hmm. If not, he's just deist. Like, it's just deism. Right. He's up there knowing it, but really not doing anything to bring it about. So right. he has no activity in the world. That's your that's your thing. Like, that. that's really the conversation that they're, or that's how they're setting it up. Um, now, God's activity in the world, also known as his agency, um, they will tell you can come in four different ways. Do you see this? Mm-hmm. Clayton, we have supernaturalism, mm-hmm. providentialism, mm-hmm. occasionalism, mm-hmm. self-limiting providence. Yep. First of all, do you want to explain what each of these are? I don't think that I could well. Okay, then I will. So I'll just read them. Supernaturalism. This would be identified by the Westminster Confession, which if you didn't know, is a Reformed Confession, hence Westminster, um, and C.S. Lewis, an Anglican. Really prominent dude. A system of nature, nature meaning order, regularity, cause, and effect, is affirmed. Nature is the creation of God, the effect of God's sustaining, and the instrument of God's governing the world. God works beyond and even against nature when he works supernaturally. Do you know anyone that would fit this category, Clayton? Lots of people. But largely the tradition we grew up in. Yeah. This is your standard conservative, Bible-believing, Christian kind of position. Yeah. Providentialism. A system of nature is assumed as above in supernaturalism. God does not and needs not work supernaturally beyond what he accomplishes through nature. Every miracle and event have a natural explanation. So do you know who this would be? Like what category of people? This would be like the people that are given over to science. Yeah. It's like no real miracles. This is like really close process. Starting theology. to lean. Yeah. Starting yeah. to lean deistic type. Yeah. yeah. 
Occasionalism. A system of nature is not articulated by the Bible. God governs and acts at each moment. The things that appear to follow, the ordered regularity of nature are occasions of God acting consistently. This is some kind of place in between. Right. And the last one, God limits his providence to avoid being a spectator or tyrant, the self-limiting providence. That's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. God has chosen to give up providence in order to not be... Very Jürgen Moltmann type, type stuff. Jürgen would affirm this. Right. Visit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, of this, which one do you think you are? Dude, I don't flip and know <laughs> these days. Why did you ask me? If I had to put myself in a category in this moment, it'd be self-limiting providence. Yeah. I wanted to ask you because I wanted people to know... Um, that it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't freaking know, yeah, man. I, like, I want people to know. And that that's the one thing. Like, obviously, these podcasts, we put them out in this way. And we have far more listeners of these podcasts that have no connection to Wellhouse Church than yeah. we ever have them connected to Wellhouse Church. But because this is designed for those attending Wellhouse Church, mm-hmm. what I want you at Wellhouse Church to know is that this is a safe space where it's okay to say, I, I don't know. flip and know. Clayton receives a paycheck from Wellhouse Church every month. Yeah. It is okay here. This is a safe yeah. space to say, I don't freaking know. I don't flip and know, man. I will say that providentialism and occasionalism, uh, leaning too far into like process theology for me, um, so I, that's like reaching a place where I am kind of uncomfortable because it takes well, out the mir- miraculousness of God. And so occasionalism, not so much. Occasionalism is going to be closer to, so like self-limiting providence is going to be more like, um, that's going to be more like panentheism. Right. And occasionalism is going to be closer to like open theism. Okay. They're going to be a little bit nuanced right. in that way. Um, but but I haven't. We're going to talk about open theism here in a bit. But I still don't know how I feel about open theism. I I'm probably an open theist. Very bold of you to say out loud. Yeah, I but. said probably. <laughs> I yeah. I, I will tell I mean, you, like I say in most of my seminary question, classes, I'm not offering positions. I'm just asking questions. But yeah, if you were going to put a gun to my head and go, give me your theological categories, uh, yeah, probably open theism open probably closestly identifies me, but. Yeah, I'm. I'm not hitching my wagon to that train. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that yet. So I'm. I'm somewhere debating between supernaturalism and self-limiting providence, leaning more towards self-limiting providence than supernaturalism, for sure. Yeah. I'm definitely in the self-limiting providence category. Yeah. Um, and I have scriptural basis to help get me there, mm-hmm. which, beside the point, but. All right, let's talk a little bit about competitive agency versus non-competitive agency. Okay. Um, first of all, do you even understand the conversation they're having with that? The competitive agency thing? Uh-huh. Yeah, talking about um, how much agency God actually has over the world. Uh, correct. And so what would they say? What percent does God have over agency? What would the author say? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know about like what Ben and Robert would say, but... But they're Randy. Randy um, sorry. Yeah. Um, but 
what they would they would say that there's non-competitive agency. Okay. Um, so competitive agency means that God and science are somehow in in some sort of competition. Yeah, like they're if not. If you yeah. give ninety percent to science, God only has ten, and vice Correct. versa. It's it's as if they are in competition, and the two of them together make the whole. Right. When you have non-competitive agency, it is to say that they both make up a hundred percent of the whole. 100% of the time, independent of one another, and yet somehow congruently, yeah. because God is the divine agent. Right. 1,000% absolutely agreed. Yeah. Now, I know for a fact we have listeners that are saying, oh, I believe in a non-competitive agency. Mm-hmm. But you don't live it out, though. <laughs> like, in, okay, so in what way would they not live it out? So, first of all, Saying that you believe in a non-competitive agency is understanding that God is outside of what is happening in the world. Um, Ooh, and, and try again. Try again. That's literally what this says right here. No, no. Try to word it again. Try okay. to word it. In, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but you have context out of that book they don't have. Fair enough. Let me just read it. Okay. When, however, we work from a creational perspective of divine transcendence, we have a way out of this dilemma because we conceive of God's agency as being different than creational agency. God stands outside and over creation, so they, so the two are not in competition. Do you agree with that statement? That's, that's right. why I'm saying you have context they don't have. Yeah. Try again. Yeah. If you don't accept that truth... Right then that's not true. Right. Um, if you're a panentheist like me, that gets that line gets a little blurry. Right. I would say that God is bigger than creation, mm-hmm. but I would not say that he's outside or uh, like... Some sort of other than... Wholly other than creation. Right. They are interconnected, interdependent, um, maybe not even interdependent, but interconnected. In a way, so creation would be dependent on God, though God correct. would not be dependent on creation. Correct, correct. So, with that, um, the reason I bring that up is I think there are a lot of people that say if if there's non-competitive agency, then science has a hundred percent and God has a hundred percent. Well, if that's the case, and science really does have a hundred percent, then then we would have Christians that believe in evolution, right? Uh, but we don't. Well, what we do. We but do. specifically, I'm thinking about some people. They're connected to Wellhouse. They would not believe that. Right. They would not believe that evolution is the way that God created in seven literal days or God created in seven excerpts of time. I'm not really sure how they would explain it specifically. Mm-hmm. But uh, like either a young earth or a, an old earth creation. Which count. we're going to talk about in a bit. Um. If you truly believed in non-competitive agency, then God can create mm-hmm. and also create through evolution because science right. proves evolution. Right. Um, if you truly believed in non-competitive agency, that's how you would believe. If you believe any other way, you're operating according to a competitive agency mm. construct. Okay. Fair Let's talk about the problem of evil and theodicy. <laughs> Okay, what are we talking about? Well, what do you want to talk about? You read the chapter. What do I want to talk about? Yeah. Oh. 
we've had conversations about this, you and I, off off camera. Let's just have a conversation. So, problem evil. You guys, if you've been following for a while, you understand that this is an issue that I have been struggling with for a while now and been pretty vocal about it on this podcast, I think. Um, Cullen, you know, like, y'all know that he's done been around this block a few times this this question started my deconstruction yeah and while i probably never said it out loud or i don't remember saying it out loud um because i'm a three and i was really unhealthy and threes are totally okay with performing and lying and saying all the things they need to say in order to do the right thing and have all the right answers um i think for a year maybe even a little bit longer than a year um somewhere around 2017 2018 I was probably, I was living as if God didn't exist. Right. Because I was like, no, this, no. Yeah. The problem of evil, I can't get over this. Like, no, if God's so dang powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this I, is it. I've been around the block. This is a huge thing for me. I, I got lots of thoughts, read lots of books about it. Yeah. I actually said this to Cullen off air. This might, this could be the question that would make me walk away from faith. It's the one that made me. Yeah. And then Jesus brought me back. So, Praise Jesus for that. Praise Jesus for that. Um, Just had to take myself a little power nap. But so, okay, trying to read this and trying to look at it from a modern standpoint, I didn't think was very helpful for me. So would you explain how people like in the ancient world would look at the issue of evil versus how we would know? It's cosmic. Um, this is part of the deal. We're so concerned with the origin of evil that we don't we don't have any kind of construct to just accept that evil exists and and move about but it's cosmic well you had two ways of doing it so you have a very like ancient hebrew way of doing it and the ancient hebrew way is given over to like deuteronomy they actually mm -hmm. say it here the bible sometimes explains suffering as a punishment for sin uh not sometimes mm -hmm. a lot of the time not right. exclusively either, though. Right. Uh, which also, once again, I don't understand why we're still like trying to say that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It absolutely does. The entire book of Deuteronomy, mm. given over to the idea that God blesses the faithful and curses the disobedient. Mm -hmm. Totally told not to believe that way. If you read the flipping book of Job, yeah, you are told not to believe that way. Yeah. And yet, both stand true in the text. Right. Um, and so if you believed in an ancient Hebrew way, you would believe that God was the author and initiator of all things, mm. good and bad. Right. Um, and notice, outside of Hasatan and Job, which I don't think, get out of here, that is, that is not Satan. That is an office. The ha, the article, actually matters there. Hasatan is an office. It's functioning in a certain way in the story. Um, nobody in the Bible equates, definitely not in the Old Testament, nobody equates Satan with the serpent. Right. And the deal in Ezekiel about the, the morning star, Lucifer, the falling... All that's about Babylon and the king of Babylon. Right. So you don't have any kind of a understanding of the origins of evil um, in Scripture. And so 
<clears throat> what did you ask me? So what I asked was, how would people in the ancient world differ in their view of evil oh. to where we are now? So, so because of all of that, the Old Testament doesn't really have some kind of singular force that you could point to that would be a cosmic evil power. Right. That doesn't exist. Um, that's sort of anti-whatever. That's a sort Greek, of anti-God. That's a Greek New Testament construct. Right. The Hebrew people aren't believing that way. What the yeah. Hebrew people are believing is that God giveth and God taketh awayeth. <laughs> I don't, yeah. my old English so, is not good enough. I don't know how. Really, yeah. in the ancient context, it would determine, what determines this is, well, and even in, in the ancient Hebrew context, they wouldn't have believed the ex nihilo creation. Uh, by the time you get to Isaiah, they are. Okay. I mean, but, Isaiah seems to believe, and the Psalms. It, in the Midrash, that's not kind of, that's really not where you're at. Well, pre-exilic, mm. you're not there. Okay. Um, I don't believe Isaiah's, I don't, I don't believe in a single author of Isaiah that, no, that's stupid. Um, so, yeah, I believe that Isaiah's post-exilic. Mm. Um, the Psalms, pfft, who the hell knows how to even date those? Right. Um, yeah. So I I think anything pre-exilic, mm -hmm. so pre the the exile in Babylon, um, which is like roughly around 700 BC, something like that. I don't think anyone's thinking in some kind of like cosmic evil or some kind of divine power against God. I think mm -hmm. everybody's just like God giveth and God taketh away. Okay. Um, when you get to the New Testament. Something has happened. Yeah. Because even in the Gospels, Jesus is tempted in the desert by the devil. Right. We now have a singular character yeah. that's the antagonist of the story. Right. How the heck we got him? Psh. Who knows? Yeah. Beats me, dude. I don't know. I wish I knew. Yeah. Wouldn't that make things so much easier if we had like a, a thing to pinpoint how we got this thing? Man, we have the tradition that says it one way, but but hell, I don't have any confidence in that tradition. I don't know. But so I mean, yes, we have tradition and that is something to be taken as value. I mean, it but is, like, but there's also lots of traditions that I don't value anymore. Right. And so it's like, okay, kind of. Like, yeah, it's it's a source. Right. It's a method of doing theology, but but, but also the question really does remain that even if Satan, the adversary, this anti-Jesus person, mm -hmm. this anti-God, think, mm -hmm. are they the source of evil? Right? Like, can that really been be pinpointed to this being? Well, so we had this conversation. You and I had this conversation right. off air. We did. And it looks like we're about to have it again. I and, think it's a valid conversation to have. And listener, just know before you embark upon this conversation with us, I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to give you an answer, and you but it's decide. only mine. Yeah, You can decide your own answer on this. Um, in order to answer the question of evil, you have to answer the question of creation. Right. How did everything we know come into existence? You have two options. 
God created it out of nothing or God formed it out of something he happened upon. Right. I'll be honest with you. In my own interpretation, neither one of them are great answers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Neither one of them actually solved the problems we're asking. Not really. Um, But if God creates out of nothing, then God is 100% on the hook for evil. Right. Because God created everything that then turned out to be evil. Now, you can come up with your hermeneutical hoopla jumps that he gave angels free will, and you can accept that narrative totally fine, whatever. The Bible doesn't confirm that, but you can totally accept that and go along living that way. Your other option would be the Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, Midrash kind of interpretation of creation. And uh, it specifically revolves around Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Um, that Although, God. Can I press pause for a second and back mm-hmm. up for a second? Sure. A part of the that hermeneutical hoopla um, might be, and you have to ask this question, that God may not know everything if that's if he really truly created it out of ex nihilo. Um. Oh, so if you want to bring in the conversation of God's knowledge into that, uh, that adds another. It does add another variable element. element. But um, if that's the way you want to go, that's a question you do have to ask. You're welcome to do that for sure. Um, I, I don't know that that necessarily, well, it's a question you have to answer eventually, but it's not a question you have to answer immediately. No, I don't. Um, yeah, fair. If God happens upon a matter substance, which if you're being faithful to the text, if the text is having a conversation of how God created, which I don't think it is, but if that is the question it's asking and you're going to be faithful to the text, then the matter that God happens upon is water. Mm-hmm. Genesis 1-6. Up to this point, God has only created light to see into the darkness, which once again, um, if God happens to light it up and then finds matter in verse 6, then what he finds is water. Right. And if you read your story well, if you read your Old Testament well, you will find very quickly that Israelite people are afraid of water. Um, Bad things happen in the water. Storms happen in the water. The water houses Leviathan, Mm -hmm. metaphorical character who they are deeply terrified of. Um, That's why it's also so important that Jesus calms the storm. Because he shows himself as Lord over the sea, um, which they are afraid of. I think there are a lot of storytelling elements that make this a viable um, position. If God happens upon matter, and the Hebrew people, the author of this book, believe that water is chaotic, then God reveals himself in the first six, verse six slash seven verses, as a restorer, mm-hmm. a person who brings order out of chaos. Yep. If that is the case in the way in which God created, um, then God's off the hook for creating evil or being mm-hmm. responsible for evil's existence in the world. Right. Because he happened upon something that was already here. Mm-hmm. Now that 
brings up another question of, well, who made that? How right. did that get here? And how did he not know about it? Correct. So it brings up questions about God's knowledge. Um, and I say this all the time. Your cosmology matters. Mm-hmm. Your protology matters. The way in which all these things happened matters. And it matters for the question of the problem of evil. Because now, if God creates out of nothing, then God's responsible. God made the mess that he's trying to fix. Yeah. And if we're really looking at it, and we're really honest with ourselves, he's quite terrible at it. For somebody that made it, really doesn't understand how to fix it. Um. Now, as my leadership coach would tell me, that's a very that's a very human reading of the text, not a divine reading. Fine, accepted, but it's a reading, and it's true. Um, he's quite terrible at it. He's tried a number of different ways to do it. First, by killing everybody except Noah, of which he then turns around and threatens to do again with Moses. It's like, I'm so mad at them. I'm just going to kill them all. Moses is like, please don't. Let's stop. Think about this. Maybe, maybe. Remember, remember your boy Abraham, what you told him? Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe we should keep that. Um, so, yeah, they're like, however you go about it, in order to answer the question, the problem of evil, you have to answer how the world came to be. Mm-hmm. And if you're not ready to do that, you're not ready to ask any of these questions. Um, but you have two options. Creates out of nothing or happens upon matter and restores chaos. Both would be faithful interpretations to the text. Sure. Um, now, we'll tell you, if he happens upon matter, you have a problem to deal with in Isaiah and the Psalms. Because Isaiah and the Psalms seem to believe that God created out of nothing. Or at least some author of the Psalms and the author or one of them in Isaiah. So you do have these, like, and this is what I said from the beginning. Neither one of these actually solve your problem. No. You're never going to solve the problem of evil. And if we're being completely honest, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, well, on question of creation, there really can't be. If, you, if you're saying that God creates out of nothing or Did he, he creates out of something, something, there's really no gray area here. Well, but also, hate to be this dude, but divine mystery, like there's, mm. there's some element here that we're probably missing. Yeah, I mean, heck, I mean, I, I'm fully given over to creation, like evolutionary creation. Yeah. Totally think that God created the world, was the agent of creation, and totally think he did it by evolution. Right. Um, also totally think most days, most days I wake up, I'm like, yeah, I think God probably happened upon some matter that was already existing. But then there are days I'm like, screw that, God created out of nothing. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, crap, I don't know. And, and that's that's one of those things that like, it, the, the only thing for me is in verse 6, and God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Where did they come? From? Where did those waters Where did the come waters from? come from? Mm-hmm. Right? Like th- that's my only also, thing. Also, what is it? Is it verse two 
or is it verse one? And the earth was formless and without void. Uh, verse two, the earth was formless and formless was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep okay. of the deep of the deep. So God happens upon something, sees it's dark, lights it up, and then finds water that he separates. Yeah. Obviously, there was some sort of matter that already pre-existed. The story tells you that he did not create what he happened upon. Right. If, and this is what I said earlier, if Genesis 1 is having a conversation of how God created step by step, then God did not create ex nihilo. Mm -hmm. It's not what the story says. He happens upon water. This is also my reason why I don't think that Genesis 1 and 2 are the same creation story. Like, I think all of it becomes very problematic. That stands in contrast to Isaiah, which stands in contrast to the Psalms. and like, just, It gets into a convoluted mess. Can we just all agree on that we don't know how all this crap happened? <laughs> Maybe we, would, that- we would be much better off if we all came to the conclusion, I don't know how God made. The Bible never tells me the origin of evil. Yeah. And yet, somehow... I live with divine faithfulness that God is bigger than evil, that Jesus taught me that he can conquer our main adversary in the story, which I'm told in Genesis 2 is death, Mm -hmm. that you will surely die if you eat that tree. So death is my adversary. Um, And Jesus conquered that. And so for whatever I have personified as evil and torment and death in the world, I know that God's interaction in the world is that he's the author of life that's bigger than death. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.